All right, here we go on Devil's Day in Las Vegas, October 30th. Michael Myers here, actually posing as Brian Feldman. And this is Adeline. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Um, me and social media director, Spencer, the Wiz, asked Trasky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. The Wiz is out of town at a wedding, but he is still taking care of everything, making sure you can see us and hear us. And Spencer, wherever you are right now, set up. You're doing a great job. Also joining the show today, uh, Chris Wynn will be uh, chiming in. And uh, last minute, I really appreciate Chris ju- jumping in on the show and also producing from back in the Fox Sports Residential Bayport studio is Chris Magnum Chapman, who also serves as a locker room reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. And um, we're all located in different locations because, hey, the pandemic's still keeping us out of the Fox Sports studio. And, um, you know, I'm not going to kill anyone today. I'm Michael Myers. So the bottom line is, we're here, we're live, we're at, coming at you, and you can also watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. Uh, if you're watching right now, you're probably wondering what the hell's going on. The page is called Adeline, that's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, at Adeline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bankrupt Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp uh, is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And don't forget to ask about the new Wedgwood homes available right now. All over Las Vegas, call 702-964-5720 for details. And... Um, to find out all about the home option, home financing options available in Nevada. My mouth's not moving. There we go. Let's get this. Let's get this going correctly. So, all right, on tap today. Uh, we got a lot on tap today. The Raiders getting ready to play in like a little bit over an hour, about an hour and a half right now. The Raiders you'll start seeing the broadcast. They are in New Orleans uh, to play the Saints. Huge game for them. We'll talk about that. The Vegas Golden Knights off to a great start. Two losses. Best record in the Western Conference, and they've got the uh, second-best record in all of hockey. So pretty cool there. Uh, and we'll talk about that with Nightcap in just a few minutes with Chris and Chris. And also, um, you got the World Series going on, man. What a World Series. Uh, Astros jump out to five nothing leads in both games. The series is not at one, one game apiece. We'll talk about that. Week eight in the NFL, always big, 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 big. And uh, we'll get we'll – get, do some talking about that as well. And I'm just having trouble uh, right now as Michael Myers. Uh, dealing with all the stuff but we'll talk about that. And you definitely don't want to miss fact this this week. Kyrie Irving, um, interesting subject matter. We'll talk about that. And some interesting thoughts about Tom Brady. All coming your way. That is what's on tap today. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on all the home financing options available in the state of Nevada today. All right, let's get right to it, boys. Nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. 
It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, the puck started a couple of weeks back, and the Vegas Golden Knights, I think, exceeding expectations. Really nice to see guys like William Carlson putting the puck in the net, Jonathan Marcheseau picking up right where he left off. But I think the most, not I don't want to say necessarily surprising aspect of Vegas Golden Knights uh, hockey right now, but the goaltending has been as good as we could have hoped at this point in the season. Aiden Hill, uh, really coming over from San Jose, has done a job as the backup goaltender, seeing a significant amount of time between the pipes. And what about Logan Thompson? Everything to this point, don't want to jinx the guy that you could hope for, gets his second shutout of the season Friday, his third overall after 20 games last year in the NHL. This kid is playing up to par, looked really good again in that Friday night. He's stopping the shots that he needs to. It seems like there's really no weakness in the guy. You know, go up over his his left shoulder above his uh, above the pad. You know, that's where he's been getting beat maybe more than anywhere else. But they're one-timers, man. You can't expect him to stop those, although he expects himself to stop those. And you love him having those expectations. Chris. I'll ask you back in the studio. First of all, hello. I'm glad you're far away from me so I don't have an inkling to kill you. I don't know if you can see me right now. Uh, everyone else can, but I know you're back there. I don't know if you're able to see uh, to see me. Chris Wynn can see me. Chris, uh, I'll ask you first, and I want Chapman. Man, how good has the goaltending been for the Vegas Golden Knights to start off 7-2 this year? Well, Brian, I think it's kind of been the story, not just of, of, of the Golden Knights, but I think it's been the story in the NHL because – you look at Logan Thompson, the road he's traveled, and, you know, look, he he's about 25, 26 games into his NHL career, and pretty much every single start has been a good start. Like, he's played well enough for the Golden Knights to win almost every single game he started. Uh, Aiden Hill has come in, and, and he's been, you know, he's got three starts on the season. Um, I have an inkling he may get the nod today. I don't know for sure, but... That would be my guess uh, as we round out October. But Brian, Aiden Hill, in three starts, you look at his numbers, and what really stands out to me is all three of his starts have been classified as quality starts. Like the guy, the guy is playing phenomenal hockey. And I think you could say you could point to Bruce Cassidy's system, right? It's very goalie friendly. Um, you know, a lot of the shots are are from the outside. And look, there's a reason why Bruce Cassidy made Jeremy Swayman look like an all-star last year. Uh, so I, I, I shouldn't say that. That that That's that's kind of taken something away from Swayman. Look, Swayman played great hockey last year for the Bruins, but there's something about Bruce Cassidy's system that allows goalies to to, to just really excel in his system. Tuka Rask uh, was, was a, a phenomenal goalie, but when you put a phenomenal goalie in a system that's forcing guys – to shoot from the outside, those phenomenal goalies are going to be even better. Um, so, so a lot of credit goes to the the play of the, of both Logan Thompson, who still seems to have that chip on his shoulder. And I think, I think he heard some of the talk coming into the season about people doubting him. You know, I I I, I don't want to say I doubted him, but I said you know he's going to need to prove himself, and he he certainly has has kind of silenced the critics. Um, like I said, it's it's not just a story for the Vegas Golden Knights. The play of the goaltenders has been the story in the NHL this season, and and I think Logan Thompson right now is leading that charge 
Uh, you know, there, there, there's certainly a question of what happens when Loren Brossois comes back. Uh, I know he's getting closer every single day to, to coming back. I don't know what this team's going to do because Loren Brossois is a guy who's making $2.5 million, and he's a guy who is who is an NHL goalie. So you're you're kind of stuck with the well. We have three NHL goalies on our roster. It, I I can't imagine a situation where the Golden Knights carry three goalies. But why not? Why wouldn't they? Because I don't well, think know. they want to lose I, either Brossois or Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson. Despite being waiver exempt, I don't think he's going anywhere. So it's a good problem to have if you're the Golden Knights. The problem is it's getting closer for you to have to make a decision on what you're going to do. Yeah, and and Chris, what I'll bring in on this conversation as well, you know, the thing is with Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, and Laurent Brossois, what a luxury that is. And before we were not looking at it as a luxury to have three NHL quality goaltenders, we were looking at it as, man, can one of these guys step up and be the number one guy? But I will say this, you know, Magnum just alluded to the fact that, you know, Logan Thompson's playing with his chip on his shoulder, which is awesome. But realistically, you know, he's not really necessarily replacing Marc-Andre Fleury, going back to that old subject, because it was Robin Leonard. And it's really a thankless position when you have to replace a legend. Very rarely does a Brett Favre get replaced with an Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't happen very often. Usually you have to wait a while for another great one to come along. And the expectations on Leonard were huge initially. You know, he's got depression issues. He's hurt. He's out for the entire season. So Logan Thompson fills in last year. He was kind of a hero. It's like, okay, Robin Leonard sit down. Everyone liked and embraced Logan Thompson because there wasn't a lot of expectations. He came into the season, and yes, people were questioning whether he was going to be the number one goaltender or not. How could you not question? He had 20 games under his belt. The team didn't make the playoffs. No fault of his, but that's where you're at. Now you come into this season, he is, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, okay, until Robin Leonard's healthy, which is a year away, he's going to be the guy. We're going to look at Laurent Brossois. Aiden Hill is his potential backup. Maybe Laurent Brossois steps into the starting role. But it's all of that. And when it's all said and done, Logan Thompson carrying this chip and playing as well as he has is great. But again, there's not the expectations on him that maybe he feels there is or the pressure on him because, again, He's not really the heir apparent to Mark Andre Fleury. Nobody's blaming him. It's almost like when you're the heir apparent to somebody, see when that there's expectations and people wait and want to blame you. Like it's his fault that Mark Andre Fleury got shipped out of town. But now that 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 um, Robin Leonard is on the shelf for the season, it really alleviates a little bit of the pressure from the goaltenders. But it's nice to see Logan Thompson wants that pressure on him and is putting it on himself. First out of the gate, Brian, I got to commend you on your quality pre-Halloween getup, my friend. That is top-notch right there. I'm sure Mags would agree. But, uh, guys, make no mistake about it. Going into the season this year, there was absolutely discussion as to who the number one goaltender was going to be here in Vegas. Obviously, Logan Thompson has been able to step into the fold with the injury to Robin Leonard. And uh, I think Mags alluded to, you know, the log jam situation that presents itself once – Loren, uh, once Bruce Saw comes back, I think he's the odd man out. I think the Vegas Golden Knights are going to be rolling with uh, Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill. Uh, they brought Aiden Hill in for a reason. It was to compete for the number one job here in Vegas. It wasn't to necessarily uh, be the guaranteed backup and certainly not to be the uh, shuttle goaltender between Henderson and Vegas. But uh, Logan Thompson has impressed, no question about it. 
Uh, the first goaltender, I believe, in the NHL with two shutouts this season. Had his third shutout in his career uh, Friday afternoon against the Anaheim Ducks. And right now, he's he's solidified himself, I think, as the guy that's going to be the number one goaltender moving forward. I'm not in Bruce Cassidy and uh, and uh, and Berkey's head as far as as far as that decision making, but that looks to be the situation right now. He's played very well, and uh, it's not necessarily that Logan Thompson's going out there and, and making spectacular save after spectacular save and and just blowing Vegas Golden Knight fans away by any stretch of the imagination. But he's doing what goaltenders need to do in the NHL, and that's not lose hockey games and uh, and be spectacular at times. He's been able to do that. So if, if, if you're asking me, and you guys know this, I've talked about this on the show many times over the past couple of months. I think Logan Thompson is the number one goaltender. I think when you're a 25-year-old in the NHL, this is when you start to establish yourself as having that ability to be be a number one goaltender in the league. And so, yeah, there are people out there that think he's too young, maybe think that he's not quite the guy there yet. Well, I think that uh, he's absolutely the guy right now. And, uh, you know, during some, you know, catastrophes or something going crazy, I think that uh, he's going to be solidified there for a while. Yeah, imagine I'm going to let Chad, I want to talk about some of the other players as well. But see, when very good points, um, he is the number one goaltender right now. I think we all clearly see that. Um, Magnum brought up a very interesting point, though, as far as Brosois goes because of what they're paying him. And then, of course, what they're yeah. paying Leonard. I mean, it is going to be next year, especially if all of them are healthy, it is going to be a very, obviously, one or two of them is going to have to get moved. But it is going to be a very interesting scenario going forward. I think right now, Bruce Cassidy is almost relieved that Lauren Brossois is not quite ready to come back yet and Robin Leonard's on the shelf because if that wasn't the case, he'd be pulling the hair out of his head right now. And <laughs> as Mag said, you know, you know what it will look at, the, the only team ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights right now is Cassidy's old team and uh, playing really well. They're 8-1 and one in Boston and, of course, 7-2 and two in Vegas. And a big part of the 7-2 and two reason is, you know, this team, when they have to score, they're getting it from the guys they need to get it for, from. It's nice to see William Carlson tied for second on the team in goals right now with Chandler Stevenson. They've got four each. And, of course, Jonathan Marshall leads the way. Chris, before we get to the interviews, Chris had a chance to talk to William Carlson, who I think is one of everyone's favorite players, just an all-around great guy. You know, I don't know that he'll ever get the 43 goals in a season again as he did in the inaugural season, but he is a guy that is very dangerous. Put the puck in that. He plays well with and without the puck, which is very, very important. William Carlson is a great setup man, and he's also a great finisher when his, he's on his game. Uh, the and, and, of course, Jonathan Marceau, just, just picking up what he did last year. I'd like to see him lead the team with five goals. And Riley Smith, an invaluable player, deservedly wearing the A on his jersey. And this this kid is a, a, a staple of the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll hear from both Riley Smith and Carlson in a second. But, Chris, before you jump into the interviews, and you can guide us into them, you know, one of the criticisms, which is kind of a little bit surprising, but not really, is Jack Eichel. I mean, he's tied for the team leading points. He's got three goals and five assists. But when you listen to the media and you even listen to the broadcast, they're expecting more out of Jack Eichel. And don't you think eight points, if you're leading the team in points or tied for the lead, that's good enough? Or are you expecting more out of Eichel too? Yeah, I, I think, look, I mean, the, the reality is there, there's high expectations on Jack Eichel. And he knows it. The fans know it. The team knows it. 
And and look, I mean, I I think with with when the team gives up Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, first round pick for for a guy making what Jack Jack Eichel's salary is, I I think there's going to be high expectations. Look, it's not just him. Alex Petrangelo, there there's high expectations on him. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit sometimes. Uh look, the 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 reality is I I personally don't care what Jack Eichel's doing as far as stats wise. What I care about is when the team needs somebody to step up and the team needs a guy to make a big play, is Jack Eichel that guy or not? That's what really stands out to me. As long as you're winning games and you're a threat to win the Stanley Cup, look, it's a team game. And and look, I think I think Jack knows that, and, and I don't know for sure, but I, I would imagine that, that he knows there's a ton of pressure on him and the team. And, you know, look, the team is playing really well, and the chemistry seems to be there. Um, the, the one thing I will say is the, the, the move to add Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone to that line, I think Chandler Stevenson is a guy who really, really is is standing out now. He got lost in Washington in the first few seasons he was here. We all knew he could play, but he was buried a little bit. He is a top-line player, and I think what a lot of people, maybe they don't look because they, they only look at the stats, but having Jack Eichel and Mark Stone on the same line together allows teams to, to, to kind of, for, or forces teams to kind of forget about Chandler Stevenson. So from that regard, you have Jack Eichel and Mark Stone on this line, and, and look, maybe teams are going to focus on them a little bit more and things are going to be a little bit more difficult for them. But what that does is it allows a high-skill, high-speed guy like Chandler Stevenson to, to, to excel. So, yeah, the, the numbers and the stats might, might not be what fans want, but when you look at it as a whole, the, the play of the line has been really good since Bruce Cassidy made the decision to put those two together. I don't care, like I said, I don't care about goals. I don't care about assists. To me, that's not what, what matters. What matters is is the team winning games, and the team's winning games. At some point, the team is going to call on Jack Eichel, and he's going to have to step up. They haven't needed that yet. But as we get further and further into the season, it's going to become a, a, a case where that that is something that's going to happen. And that's where Jack Eichel will ultimately be judged. Not what's happened in the first nine games of the season where the team is 7-2. and two. No, I agree with you, and I think that uh, don't don't sleep on Jack Eichel, anybody out there. And I, sometimes the media gets a little carried away. Yes, there are very high expectations. There are a lot of people that consider Jack Eichel maybe the third best skater in hockey. There's older guys like Alex, Alex Ovechkin who might have an issue with that. But, you know, behind uh, Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, I mean, this is a premier top-notch player. And at times we see him play like that, and I think we will see him play like that when he's called him up. And you're actually absolutely right. Chris, what a line that is with Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, and Chandler Stevenson. I mean, you can't get much tougher than that. It also allows Bruce Cassidy to play with these lines and put the production line back out there of William Carlson, Riley Smith, and Jonathan Marches. So you're talking about two lines that could be number one lines on a lot of teams in the National Hockey League, and that is pretty cool. And you even get productions from the other lines. This team is very deep. Very strong, and if the goaltending remains consistent, the Vegas Golden Knights once again become a contender to win it all. And I like that, Chris. You did have a chance after the game to talk with two integral parts and two inaugural members of the Vegas Golden Knight teams. Huge fan favorites, both these guys are, and both of them scored a goal 
in Friday afternoon's game on Nevada Day. Uh, you can set it up, man. I don't know which one you want to play first, but I'm, we're going to hear from both William Carlson and Riley Smith. Chris got to talk with both of them after the game on Friday. Yeah, you know, it's funny. They were they were really missing a Marsha so goal away from a misfit hat trick. But, uh, yeah, we can start with, with Riley Smith because um, it was his shorthanded goal that, that kind of changed the game. Um, you know, it was one nothing at that point. And, and, you know, I asked Bruce Cassidy about it in the press conference, and, and I think Jake LeCision is a guy. He made his first start of the season on Friday, got in his first action, but he took a penalty for roughing, and Bruce Cassidy was was like, we we like that type of penalty because Jake Jake didn't like a, a, a it was Frank Vitrano. He did not like Frank Vitrano impeding in the the crease of the goalie after the whistle and decision took a penalty for roughing because he kind of threw for Toronto out like a bag of trash. And it was off of that penalty that kind of got the team going. Zach Whitecloud got into a fight. Um, so it was, it was a bit, by the way, Zach, take your gloves off next time. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it was, a, it was, it was kind of like a play that, that got the team going. And, and, Bruce Cassidy mentioned that he told the team we were going to kill that penalty and they would take that penalty all day. So, so Jake decision, he didn't get any points in the game, but it was his uh, a penalty that kind of changed the momentum of the game. And I asked Riley Smith about the, uh, the, the, the shorthanded goal and the connection him and William Carlson have. William Carlson more than you two scoring a shorthanded goal. Probably not. Um, you know, I think we've done a good job over the years creating offense shorthanded. Um, you know, he does such a good job being able to steal pucks and get up ice and uh, make some creative plays, and that's what he did tonight. So I just tried to put it on net, got a little bit lucky, but he did all the hard work there. It seemed like that play kind of propelled you guys a bit in the second period. Just kind of talk about what happened there. Yeah, that's always a, a big momentum swing when you're it's a you know one nothing game and you're able to to really change the momentum, um, steal a goal, and uh, it definitely you know affects the next couple shifts. So uh, I felt we built on that, created a lot more opportunities. I think we could add a lot more goals tonight, but uh, big win. We'll take it and move on. That was Riley Smith. Uh, yeah, and, and and really that 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 shorthanded goal kind of changed things uh, around quite a bit. But uh, I I, st- I also talked to William Carlson, and Carlson is a guy who who. The most goals he has scored as a member of the Golden Knights have come against the the Anaheim Ducks. William, 14 goals you've scored against the Ducks. What is it about this team that just kind of brings out the best in you? Uh, well, we do play them a lot, so um, and that's been a lot of games since since that first year here. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it just seems to fit me. Do you kind of still harbor a little animosity towards them for, for kind of giving up on you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, that's such a long time ago, so I don't really uh, think about that anymore. What is it about you and Riley on the penalty kill that just seems to just flow so well? Yeah, I mean, we've been playing or killing a lot, um, you know, since the beginning. And we we look for uh, ways to go the other way because um, usually, you know, some power plays tend to relax a little bit. So uh, if we have a chance to strike the other way we uh, try to seize that opportunity you seem to be playing with a lot of confidence but you also look like you're having a lot of fun how important are those two things for your game I think uh, it's two ingredients you want uh, you know when you play in hockey uh, just 
confidence and, and having fun, that's when you play your best. Yeah, by the way, when we walked in the locker room on Friday after the game, Dancing Queen by ABBA was was the the song that was playing on the uh, the, the the speaker in the locker room. So I, I don't know if that was a, because me and me and William have spoken about it multiple times. In in his words, ABBA makes quote bangers, which I had to ask him what banger was, and it was like a, a banger is 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 a is a big hit. So uh, so I don't know if, if they played that for for William. <laughs> But Abba Dancing Queen was 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 playing in the locker room. By the way, one time I walked in and and uh, that don't impress me. By Shania Twain was playing one day when we were up in San Jose for the playoffs a couple of years ago. So uh, the, the the fellows in the locker room have have a very diverse taste in music. But uh, I'm a big Abba fan, so I loved when I walked in the locker room and I got to hear some Abba playing on the uh, the, the speaker in the room. I'm an ABBA fan as well, so I, I wish I would have been there. I couldn't go uh, uh, Friday afternoon. I know you and Chris Wynn went, saw a big win, a big shutout. Yeah, and yeah, and, and and got a got a shout out, Chris Wynn for for uh, mushing our buddy Willie Ramirez. Willie was talking to the two of us in a in, in one of the intermissions about BYU and and how Here he felt that they were going to yep. bounce back, and and Chris was all, <laughs> "Hey, Willie, I got BYU too." Guess what? <laughs> BYU no show. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, hey, I know about hey, that. Hey, Mags and Brian, but all three of us, right? We've, we've either covered obviously the Vegas Golden Knights here. We've seen a lot of hockey in our lifetimes. I gotta say, this Vegas Golden Knights hockey club over over its existence has scored a lot of shorties, right, guys? I mean, there we've seen a lot of hockey. This this for some reason this organization uh, has a knack for uh, getting getting goals on the penalty kill more so than uh, any other team that I've covered or followed. And, uh, you know, the three of us have had a, a ton of time and have, have watched a lot of hockey. No, yeah, Chris, we're going to move on to the next up, but you're 100% yeah. right. And and the thing is with that is it's special teams, and I think the biggest reason when you see a lot of teams scoring shorthanded, it is because a lot of the defensemen on the Vegas Golden Knights, unlike most teams I've ever seen, are two-way players. You know, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez mm-hmm. can put the puck in the net. We know how good Alex Petrangelo is. This is a team with three or four defensemen that are known to be able to score a decent amount of goals during the season. And when you have that and then you've got a lot of great two-way forwards like Mark Stone. I mean, I don't know that there's a better special team player in the National Hockey League when he's at his best. He's as good as it gets, both on the penalty kill and playing when, when the you know they're on the power play. So I like it a lot. And you are right. Having them score shorthanded, that is a monstrous weapon when you've got a team that has the ability to jump up on a rush shorthanded and score a goal. It's pretty cool. Um, guys, the Golden Knights, uh, you know, the big thing now, huge game against Winnipeg today. When I say a huge game, it's because they're getting ready for a five-game road trip. You mm-hmm. want to start that trip and get a win. And today, Winnipeg, Chris talked about before, Chris uh, Chapman, I should say, talked about how Winnipeg is a team nobody better sleep on. The Knights handled them the first time around, but it is going to be a difficult task to play this team, especially knowing you've got a five-game road trip coming up. Hopefully, that won't get too much in their heads. Have a good game this afternoon. And then, you know, starting on Tuesday, they're in Washington. They've got a tough road to haul and we'll see what happens there. Guys, real quick, I want to quickly uh, touch on UNLV. They've got the week off this week. I think a good week for them to have the week off after, you know, a couple of bad losses. They didn't play terrible against Notre Dame, but hopefully all this time off, 
the one thing everyone wants to see if you're a UNLV fan is you want to see the reemergence of Doug Brumfield. You want to see him back on the football field. And I think this extra week off, we'll probably see Brumfield in San Diego State next Saturday, which is going to be huge, as that is a very defensive-minded team. And again, if you've watched UNLV this year, the weakness, and, and it is a glaring weakness, is you can out-physical this team. They're not they're not huge as far as size and stature goes. We saw Notre Dame's offensive line just shove them around defensively. But the big thing about UNLV is they need to play tougher. And, you know, at times you see it, but they were manhandled a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, against San Jose State. And they got manhandled against Air Force also. And Notre Dame, you expected to see what you saw. Like I said, I actually thought they were more competitive in that game than I thought they would be based on the two prior weeks. But I think it's a big necessary week off for them. I think they go to San Diego State before they come They come back here to play Fresno. And that's going to be a, a huge game because I don't think they get a win in San Diego State. I think they dip under 500. And guys, with four games left, they've got to win two to become Bowl eligible. I'm, I'm going to stop you know, here. After their first four wins, yeah, they'll find two more wins there. It's not going to be that easy. Fresno State, Hawaii, Reno, none of those are gimmies. And uh, San Diego State, I think, is going to be a real tough road to haul again because they are a defensive-minded team and they are a very physical football team, something UNLV has struggled a little bit with. Yeah, um, I, I think they're going to go and, and win in San guy. Diego, I Brian. I college football yesterday, but Chris, I know with both of us being from Michigan, the game mm-hmm. in Michigan, Michigan play in Michigan State, it went the way I think everyone expected it to go this kid Blake Corum I, I'm tired of hearing comparisons to Barry Sanders please he's in college let him play 10 years in the NFL let me look at his statistics before I call him Barry Sanders but Corum does have that incredible stopping and starting ability that's pretty cool but UNLV I should say excuse me U of M wins that game going away MSU pokes and O's in front seven to three U, U of M scores the next 26 points it was what we expected but after the game there's some problems in the hall, you know, I guess in the tunnel at Michigan. And I saw it, Chris, it looked really ugly. And Mm -hmm. what I'm scared of is what the hell happened that you of MSU had their entire football team there. So it looked like I only saw one or two U of M players and and they were getting punched. It was like they were getting gang, you know, it was like a gang there that was tackling two guys. Harbaugh was real upset about it. It's being investigated by the Ann Arbor police, but what the hell happened that you saw? Yeah, there are times where, obviously, Brian, you and myself, you know, love to be associated with Michigan State and the athletic program. And this is one of those times where it's extremely embarrassing. It happens occasionally, obviously, when Draymond Green does some crazy things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to be associated with. This is another one. It was completely unacceptable. It went down after the football game. You can bounce over on social media. Mel Tucker, the head coach, is talking about it, how you know, this is not indicative of what our program represents and how we, how we uh, operate. And uh, then you see the video, and it's just, it's just absolutely inexcusable by any stretch of the imagination. And, and there's going to be a number of players I would anticipate that are probably going to get kicked off the football team, suspensions coming. And it's, it's just uh, – it, it, it's kind of – it not not only does it make the program look bad, but it makes the makes Mel Tucker and the coaching staff look bad if they don't rectify the situation, right? If they don't do something that's adequate for what went down. And you're exactly right, Brian. The video it's essentially a, a, you know a handful of Michigan State players, uh, you know, smacking around a Michigan player, and then the, the Michigan player eventually gets out of there. 
but you just can't have that happen. And yeah. look, we understand it's a rivalry. We understand you know, it's Michigan, Michigan State, and you know it's 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 a featured game on ABC, and it's and you know and Michigan. It, it, there's no question that Michigan State is a down year for the Spartans. Michigan is in line to play one of their bigger games against Ohio State at the end of the season and could contend for a national championship. And it's basically a mismatch this season. So as you pointed out, Brian, the uh, the outcome was as expected, although it's, am it's amazing, Mags. And, and Brian, how dead on Vegas is with this number, though. The number lands on 23, and Michigan State goes down by 22. But I digress. Uh, yes, it was as expected on the football field, but as far as the ending of the entire situation, you can't have it go down like that, and it makes Michigan State look really bad. No, you can't. And and, and again, it was it was a bad look overall. Um, you know, U of M Michigan State is something we look forward to, as you mentioned every mm -hmm. year, Chris. And there has been upsets. I mean, Rocky Lombardi a couple of years ago, they made him look like a Heisman Trophy winner when Michigan was exposed supposed to win that game, and Michigan State won it. This game again went as expected. Um, I talked about Blake Corum, 177 rushing yards, the most against Michigan State since the running backs coach to Michigan, Mike Hart, did it. Yeah, he rushed for like 217 yards back in 05, and. Uh, this kid's the real deal. Michigan, Ohio State is going to be a tremendous game. Penn State tried to ruin that yesterday, but uh, yeah. Ohio State ended up coming through. It's going to be a hell of a game. Um, Michigan two in a row over Ohio State has not happened in a while. Harbaugh could really use it, though. He, he gained a lot of his popularity back last year by finally beating Ohio State. And now the expectations are for him to do it again this year. We'll see what happens when all is said and done. But um, right now I want to get – and real quickly, one other thing before I get to fact this, which I think is pretty mm -hmm. interesting today. I just wanted to mention real quick, um, you know, last week – and Chris wasn't – Chris. Chris Wynn watched the show. You chimed in. Mags right. was in was at Notre Dame. And, Mags, we talked about something, and I'll let you chime in real quick. I'm going to give you a minute on this subject matter because I'd really like to know what you think. Uh, last week I, I, I had a big con, you know, we had a big conversation. I don't even want to call it debate. You were fired up. You were I was fired up. fired up. All yes. the teams changing their names, Chris. You know, it's getting to the point of lunacy, in my opinion. I understand it. I understand you want diversity. I understand we can't have any type of racism, any type of discrimination in sports. There's no, there's no use for it in the world, but it's all over the place. We know that. But again, none of these team names were ever devised or designed with discriminatory thoughts in mind. They were team names. I know that the Sioux nation in North Dakota was not happy at all about them changing the name from the fighting Sioux to the fighting Hawks. So when I saw that last week, Mags, I decided to check on the most, to me, the most discriminatory name and discriminatory logo in all of sports. And that would be the Notre Dame fighting Irish. The logo is a leprechaun fighting. And as a kid, what are the stereotypes we hear? Again, I'm Jewish. I could say it. Jews are cheap. That's what we hear. We hear that Polish people aren't intelligent, and we hear that Irish people like to fight. Those are stereotypes. How the hell is it okay for Notre Dame to have a logo of a leprechaun depicting an Irish person fighting with his fists in the air, and the name of the team is the Fighting Irish, and not a single soul calls attention to that? Why? I say I'm okay with it if everyone playing for Notre Dame is Irish. Uh, don't think that's the case. So why is it okay for Notre Dame to be called the Fighting Irish, but 
North Dakota State not to be called the Fighting Sioux. Mags, love to hear it. Well, I I can't answer that question, Brian. I'm I'm actually my my great grandparents were were uh, from Ireland, so. Um, you know, we also, my other set of great grandparents, one of them was in the mob. So, uh, there's, there's, there's some stereotypes there as well, but, uh, you know, I, as far as the, the indigenous names, I feel like that's, that's a debate that I feel like it's kind of weird because you have the university of Utah and they're the Utes and the Florida state Seminoles and, it seems like those tribes are are good with the, the the names because there's there's promotion of the tribe and and you know I I think it's 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 a debate that needs to happen within the tribe as far as whether or not they they should pursue changes or not. Look, the Washington football team. I mean, look, there it's it, there's no secret that the guy who came up with that what his views were on minorities and the guy who was the original owner of that team way back in, in whatever it was, the 1920s, 1930s, the guy was, the guy was a scumbag and, and he certainly wasn't on the up and up when it came to race relations. So I have a couple of people in my family who support that football team. I understand that they're upset. And, and again, that's not a debate that I feel is, is similar to the Utes and the Seminoles, right? That one was just blatantly vile, you know, and and the logo on the helmet was 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 just vile. I I I can understand there's a difference between that and the Fighting Sioux. If the fight if if the Sioux Nation took offense to that name, then certainly we need to have the discussion. I can't speak for for anyone in that nation because I'm not indigenous my family are all immigrants but when they tell us that it's offensive we need to listen a couple weeks ago the nhl released their reverse retro jerseys and the new jersey devils and colorado avalanche both basically went with the same jersey but my comment in regards to that was the colorado avalanche used to be excuse me the new jersey devils used to be the colorado rockies then they moved to Kansas right. City and became the Kansas City Scouts yep. before they became the New Jersey Devils. Well, the Scouts was it, it had a, a, a I would say probably an offensive indigenous logo. So when the New Jersey Devils released their reverse retro jersey, I was glad to not see that logo associated with their jersey, despite the fact that they use the the, the colors of the KC Scouts. Look, the the, the Notre Dame one, I. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, my family's Irish. I, I The funny thing Chris, is... Here's I, what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm cutting you off for a second because this is my point. You want to talk about offensive and discriminatory, look at the logo. I don't know if Spencer can put it up for us right now on the green, but really look at it. You want to go to a... Now, you're going to tell me Irish weren't oppressed when they came to the United oh, States. Oh, they, they absolutely were. Country. Yeah, okay. yeah. And you're going to say that you didn't hear the stereotype as a young kid that Irish people like to fight? Well, I heard they... Stereo. A, a, okay, as a, someone who's Irish, I heard, I heard they, we like to drink a lot, too. You so. drink and you fight. So all the logos... <laughs> all the, all the Notre Dame logo is missing is a beer. I can't. The guy holding a beer. And you know what's funny? They don't. Is, they don't sell beer in their stadium. I understand, and I know that. But here's the crazy thing: you go to a house in Ireland, knock on the door. A little Irish lady opens the door. Nice, peaceful family. Why aren't you fighting? Is that what you're supposed to? Are you offended that they call you the Fighting Irish? 
it, Chris, it, my point is it's lunacy. I, my, I talked to Pete Kerplevich, as I mentioned, one of my best friends in the world who was an honorable mention, all American in Notre Dame and played for Lou Holtz. And what he would be furious if they changed the name. Well, Brian, yet, there, there's yet, another way yet, to here's, here's the thing, Chris, again, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to leave it here. The food for thought. It's okay to be the fighting Irish. Well, I'm Jewish. What if we, we founded a school and we called them the cheap Jews? Would that be okay? Well, Would it be okay to call a team the dumb Poles? No, no of course not. Okay, fighting is a it is a discriminatory thing, a moniker towards Irish people that they all like to fight. That is absolutely but not. But Brian, the Brian, there, there's another aspect of this. Maybe fighting Irish is fighting back against all of the stereotypes, right? You just mentioned that there was there was discrimination towards the Irish and Southern Europeans when they moved here. So, you know, fighting Irish could just be a moniker for, hey, Chris, we're Chris, fighting think, back I think, against... I think you're bailing them out. I don't think at all that's what it was. I think it just fit. And I, and I truly believe, but maybe it is, and that's what they would say. But again, you know, Spencer had a very good point, and I'm going to leave this subject of this so we can move on. Spencer said to me when we were talking about, should we bring this up on the show? Do we really want to go down this rabbit hole? And he said, you know, let's answer this question. Will changing the names of all of these programs and professional sports teams, will, it, will the world be a better place because of it? Is it truly for the greater good? Because if it is not, we are screwing with tradition. We are screwing with history. All the NFL players that are in the Hall of Fame as, you know, as Washington Redskins. Now, I think that name needed to go. Okay, I'm not disagreeing. But the the, the the Hall of Famers from the Cleveland Indians, what do we do? We go in and erase the name off their bus in the Hall of Fame? I mean, this is history. And again, if it is going to be, Chris Wynn, for the greater good of mankind, then by all means, make the changes. But Chris, is it going to be for the greater good of mankind? Chris Wynn, go ahead. So, Brian and Mags, let me bottom line this for you. And not, your, your passion, Mr. Feldman, notwithstanding, uh, we've had a lot of name changes, right, in recent years. We're talking about the last three, four, five years. We've had a lot of name changes across the board. I don't think the Notre Dame program is changing the Fighting Irish name. I just don't think they're doing it. And uh, it's, it's, it's probably for a number of reasons. You guys, you guys highlighted uh, a, a big, a big uh, portion of those. But I don't think it's necessarily on the docket. I don't think it's necessarily – and uh, I pointed this out to you, Brian, last week before the show. I said, look, it, it's interesting to kind of debate, and it's a great radio topic, but when it's all said and done, when the, when the rubber meets the road, let me use all the analogies I can throw in here, I don't think Notre Dame's going to change the name. And I, I agree. I don't, Let's, there hasn't, there hasn't been guys, a massive listen. outcry to, to change it. You are correct. I, I apologize. We yeah. do got to move on. We got about 13 yeah. minutes left to go, and we've got Scoop coming up in a few minutes, and we got to get to football. But I don't want to miss out on fact this. We'll keep this as brief as we can. But go ahead, Spencer, hit it. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it is a fact that on Thursday, Kyrie Irving tweeted a link to a movie, and um, and I guess it bakes with an Amazon page and promoting the film titled Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up mm. Black America. On Friday, Rolling Stone said the movie is, and I quote, stuffed with anti-Semitic uh, tropes. Irving tweeted early Saturday, again, 
that is meant that he meant no disrespect towards anyone's religion or, or religious beliefs, and that this is not and he is not anti-Semitic. The NBA and Nets owner Joe Tsai both uh, released statements of their own, uh, basically uh, condemning anti-Semitism. Now, the question is, is this, you know, since you're a public figure, why would you do this? And this is what Kyrie Irving had to say in the press conference yesterday. 22. History is not supposed to be hidden from anybody. And I'm not a divisive person when it comes to religion. I, I embrace all walks of life. You see it on all my platforms. I talk to all races, all cultures, all religions. And my response would be, um, it's not about educating yourself on what Semitism is, what anti-Semitism is. It's really about learning the root words of where these come from and understanding that this is an African heritage that is also belonging to the people. Africa is in it, whether we want to dismiss it or not. So the claims of anti-Semitism and who are the original chosen people of God and we go into these religious conversations and it's a big no-no. I don't live my way like that. What I post does not mean that I support everything that's being said or everything that's being done or I'm campaigning for anything. All I do is post things for my people in my community and those that it's actually going to impact. Anybody else that has criticism obviously wasn't meant for them. In terms of the backlash or what people call it, uh, we're in 2022. Uh, yeah, we're in 2022, and I get all that. And you see, I'm wearing uh, the the poop emoji right here because, um, guys, seriously, <laughs> I mean, to say that if, if if it offended you, it wasn't meant for you. You've got over a million followers on Twitter, Kyrie Irving. It's meant for a lot of people that are going to see this and going to see you representing a sponsored movie that Rolling Stone said is loaded with anti-Semitic rigmarole. It just is. So is it okay? Chris, is it okay? Chris Wynn. Absolutely not okay. Look, there has been a history with Kyrie Irving regarding statements that are questionable at best, ridiculous at worst. And look, this is kind of par for the course, to be quite honest with you. I don't really understand the fascination, that's the word I'm going to use, for all this this anti-Semitic ranting and, and uh, comments being made as of late. Look, I understand we're in a very polarizing political climate right now where people uh, you know, are, are, are ramped up with emotions and, and uh, have their opinions and feelings. I get that. But with what was said here, and then you've got, you know, obviously the stuff that's gone on with Kanye West regarding his anti-Semitic, indefensible, inexcusable, offensive comments that he made. And then, and then there's, but there's people out there trying to defend them, right? That's crazy. How about this? Just don't defend them. Just, just, just call them what they are. Call them wrong and call them offensive. Quit playing and the music. And then go on your way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, Chris, you're, you're exactly right. This was so bothersome, it's not even funny. There will be recourse probably by the NBA and probably by the New Jersey Nets. We'll see what I see at the Brooklyn Nets. We'll see what ends up happening there. Guys, moving on real quick to the Raiders. Raiders play in just a very short period of time, a little over an hour. Uh, they're kicking off in New Orleans. Last week after the press conference, had some opportunities. One of the things we're going to skip around, I had a bunch of them, but we don't have time for all of them. But I did get a chance to, to talk to Derek Carr afterwards. And one of the things I said to Derek Carr was, you know, when it's all said and done and you you were, you know, you get, were there, um, they're still two and four. And this, this is the conversation I had real quickly with Derek Carr after the game. 
Derek, it's a big win, but at the end of the day, you guys are two and four, and it's an uphill climb. Each game is so vitally important. What do you think it's going to take to get this team to start stringing some wins together? Um, well, a lot of what we did today, uh, we did, um, you know, really towards the end of the second quarter and on. Um, we stopped beating ourselves, you know, and we just executed. And, um, sounds so cliche, but when you just do your job the right way, you know, not your way, but just do it the right way, um, and all 11 do that. On offense, it's you need all 11. You know, if one guy doesn't do it, the play's over, you know. Um, you know, defensively, if a corner, you know, blows a coverage, but the defensive end gets a sack, you know, it's nice, you know. Uh, but offense, you need all 11. And, uh, you know, if we can keep doing that, then hopefully we can play good football going forward. But it's not going to be easy. You know, we got a lot of tough teams coming up, uh, especially uh, this next week. Yeah, that next week is today, and it's going to be a tough game in New Orleans, a tough road to haul. One of the other guys I got a chance to really quickly talk to after the press conference, and I wanted to play this is, you know, Derek Carr said it was pretty cool getting Devontae Adams to come to the Raiders. His buddy from college, they are really good friends. They practice every year in the offseason. But he said as happy as he was, he said in the press conference, no one was happier than Josh Jacobs about getting Devontae Adams because of how much it's going to open up the running game for him, and we've seen it. I asked Josh Jacobs about that after the game as well. He's one of the best, if not the best, in this in this league, in this game right now. Um, and I would say that he he definitely took everybody's game to another level. He, he took my game to another level just because of the way he practiced. I mean, you see this dude make plays. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I've ever seen it before. You know what I'm saying? Like certain things like that. And I'm like, man, like I remember in camp, me and Amir was talking, and I was like, we really, we really witnessing greatness right now. You know, like the dude really like the way he go about his business, the way he approach, you know, take care of himself, working and, and things like that. I mean, it, it's been fun to be around. So for me to be able to see it and actually, you know, see what he does from a day to day standpoint, I feel like that elevated my game. Uh, see, when I'll give you give you the floor for sixty seconds before we yeah. bring aboard uh, before we bring aboard the scoop. But um, Devonte Adams a huge addition to this team. I think he's fifth right now in the NFL receiving yards. Uh, no one loved what happened uh, after the, la- the the Raiders game a couple weeks ago, where he, um, you know, I mean, you know, he basically shoved a. You know, he shoved the cameraman's assistant, but mm-hmm. he's a huge addition to this team. Can the Raiders continue to build on what they did last week against Houston, or is it too much of an uphill climb, four and two, and this team still is missing parts? Well, they absolutely can. Look, they absolutely have to build on that second-half performance against Houston where offensive, they're able to get things going, click, clicking-wise, particularly in the run game, right, with Josh Jacobs, who had a big-time game in that second half he's got to be a factor today in new orleans against the saints who are dealing with their own kind of adversity looking with with the quarterback situation it appears that Jameis winston is now healthy but is now on the bench and they're going to start andy dalton instead and we understand how they use Taysom hill in offense and they missed some key pieces there for new orleans but this is a game that the raiders have to win because they're just a better football team than the new orleans saints are so you got to go in there put up some points you got to see Derek carr play well you know, look, he hasn't had spectacular numbers, but he can't go out there and have one of those three interception games that ends up costing them this matchup against New Orleans. So offensively, they got to be able to click. Defensively, it's kind of a bend, but don't break type of approach that they, that they need to take. And I think they'll be okay. And yes, building meaning they can get a win against a lesser football team in New Orleans in the Big Easy against the Saints and then kind of figure things out the rest of the way to see if they can get back into playoff contention 
for the rest of the season. I agree. One of the things I've liked the last couple of games, especially last week against Houston, is finally we're seeing Chandler Jones play like Chandler, Chandler Jones was expected right. to play. And if the bookends, him and Crosby, can continue to play that way and put heat on opposing quarterbacks, especially today, the red pea shooter in uh, New Orleans, uh, they should do pretty well. Um, real quickly, let's bring in the scoop. And uh, get. Uh, we've got week eight. Uh, right now in the National Football League, huge, huge week for a lot of teams. Raiders may be as big as anyone. Scoop, are you there? There he is. There he is. Yes, can sir. You hear me? We, yeah, you we can. got you, Scoop. Go right ahead. You got your minute. Well, I got a question. When's the last time you saw a three and four football team favored on the road against a team five and two? It's Today, been years. It's probably, probably been years, happen. right, Brian? Yep, doesn't happen often. You don't see it often, and today today we have one of those situations. It's a rare spot. We got the New England Patriots uh, going to New York to take on a team that uh, has overachieved so far. Zach Wilson been sacked 52 times this year. Stud left tackle Elijah Vera Tucker tears his tricep last week. So now we're going to be shuffling some guys around there. Didn't have a lot of talent to begin with on that left side of the offensive line. Now you got uh, a New England team coming in who – they're sixth in pressure rate this year, despite watching Justin Fields run around the field last week all, all game. And so you know Belichick's going to have these boys ready to try to get some pressure on a, a young quarterback who, in my opinion, is uh, the worst starter in football. Uh, doesn't look like he should be out there sometimes. So uh, with Mac Jones coming back to the fold, I expect to see a more focused New England team. Um, short favorites here. No, you guys don't want the money lines, but uh, we'll, we'll lay the points. Minus three. Um, all the above. Uh, New England gets the job done. And then for the parlay, we're going to run it with uh, the San Francisco 49ers. This is a team that I'm high on, going up against a team that I'm low on. And, and we like to we like the lows and the buys to come in together. Uh, the Rams are a team that some, some things just aren't you the same. got to give us a parlay, brother. They're going to start playing the music behind us. That's the parlay. 49ers in the parlay with the New England Patriots. A simple two-teamer. Let's get to the window. I love it. I think San, I think it's a great call in the San Francisco Rams game. Uh, they always play well. San Francisco seems to have the Rams number, and the Rams are very depleted, especially on the offensive line. That's going to hurt them, and they're depleted defensively as well. So I like it a lot. You heard it. Pick of the week. New England, give up the three points. It scares me, but I'm going with you, Scooper. Always appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Chugs and hugs to the moon. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we are out of time. I want to thank Chris Wynn, last minute, joining us. See Wynn, thanks as always, brother. Hey, great times as always, and uh, it's always fun to join the auto line crew. I'll be rolling into the uh, Vegas Golden Knights Winnipeg Jets game tonight covering that, and I'll uh, probably be giving Willie Ramirez, Mags, and uh, Brian another hot pick for the evening. I love it. Uh, see win at the game. I'm not making it tonight. A lot of football. I want to thank Chris back in studio, Chris back in Chapman, and of course the Wiz making sure everything goes on point, even though he missed his plane on Brian Feldman. This is out of line. Back next week, same time.